Hi, Al Morton here with a special festive edition of the Takeout Podcast, number 18, A Christmas Knee. This one is going to be a real cracker. Coming up in this episode, are Christmas trees dangerous? You better believe they are. Should football be banned? 10 things you shouldn't do with a chocolate Santa. And a few tips on protecting your home from pesky carol singers. Oh no! So first I should warn listeners that this podcast does contain some adult content. And a a quick apology, they can sometimes take a little longer to make than anticipated. So if you're listening and it's no longer Christmas 2022, Happy Easter or Thanksgiving 2023. (laughs) Actually, this is a special episode for me as I'm celebrating over 7,500 downloads of my last episode. I don't really know what triggered the sudden interest but I'm wondering if it had something to do with Donald Trump and the midterm elections. Maybe a clue could be found in the title, Fifty Shades of Stupid, although I imagine many US listeners would have been disappointed to find out that I was actually referring to the short-lived premiership of British Prime Minister Liz Truss, who was unable to outlast an iceberg lettuce. Is there anyone there? Yes, what do you see? Iceberg, right ahead! Thank you. I never get tired of hearing that, but perhaps I should provide a bit of context. The Economist ran an article stating that Liz Truss had become an historical figure because her grip on power was the shortest in British political history. Miss Truss entered Downing Street on September 6th, blew up her own government with a package of unfunded tax cuts on September 23rd, take away 10 days for mourning for the Queen and you're left with her being in control for only seven days. That is the shelf life of an iceberg lettuce. It's time to get all Christmassy and break out the mulled wine and mince pies. For the American listeners, who may be wondering what a mince pie is, it's probably best described by my great friend Mike Britton as a Saxonic bucket of sugary goo. He doesn't appear to be speaking to me at the moment, but I'm hoping to hear from him before the end of this podcast. Of course, the contents of said pastry cases remain a complete mystery to me, but it is rumoured that they are very good for diabetes. So, what's been happening in the Christmas news? Well, for a start, in the US, they appear to be taking no chances with the switching on of the Fox News Christmas tree lights after an incident last year in which a homeless person had the audacity to set fire to it whilst they were live on air. It now has its own military armed guard and has been sprayed with fake asbestos snow. I suppose the Patriot's Iron Dome air defence system just wasn't available. Meanwhile, down in deepest Florida, another Christmas tree is about to be lit up at a certain residence in Mar-a-Lago. everyone and a very merry christmas to all it's going to be a great year tonight we're honored to continue the nearly 100 year ceremony of lighting the christmas tree 
And please join me from your homes and all over the country, and in fact, all over the world, as we light our great tree. We'll start with five, four, three, two, one. Goddamn. Wrong button. Oops. <laughs> Belalia, that's the last time I let you decorate that tree. Who gives a f about Christmas stuff? No, seriously, I'm starting to think that Christmas trees are a lot more trouble than they're worth. In other news, on the other side of the Atlantic, a certain Arabic country has been going all football crazy. England has been making steady progress in Qatar, and to help cheer them on, I've been brushing up on pub fighting and chair throwing skills. Apparently, it's all the rage in Tenerife, but a little harder to achieve in Doha, where I believe the price of a beer is over £12. By the time you hear this, £12 will probably be about the equivalent of 50 cents. Well, that's what a British-style mini-budget can do for your economy when you give the top jobs a state to privately educated idiots from Eton. Before I leave the subject of the FA World Cup, which at the time of recording is still unfinished business, I couldn't help but notice that some of the England fans were being turned away from the match, mainly because they had arrived in full Knights Templar costumes, complete with chainmail balaclavas and St George shields and swords. And it has to be said that in Qatar, they do have quite a strict dress code. No rainbow bucket hats, no one love armbands, no, 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 none of that, certainly not. And definitely no t-shirts with pictures of lady parts on the front. I was a little upset that FIFA prevented the team captains from wearing their armbands, and now I'm left wondering what I'm going to do with all those just stop oil baseball caps. At least I didn't spaff millions of taxpayers' money on fraudulent PPE contracts, or allegedly finance a $10 million yacht for Baroness Michelle Moan. It seems all wrong to be talking about football at Christmas. I mean, Qatar isn't exactly a Christian country, and whilst I don't expect them to have dressed all of the stadiums in a giant nativity theme, maybe they could have just done one. Obviously not the Ahmad bin Ali Stadium, but how about the imaginatively titled 974? Something like the Holy Mary, Joseph, Baby Jesus and the Little Donkey Stadium. You know, to reflect the diversity of our multicultural society. And by way of compensation for f***ing up everyone's Christmas with football <coughs> Okay, I admit it, I'm not a fan, but I do believe they could have made more of an effort to make the matches festive. A giant Christmas pudding as the ball would have been a good start, and maybe the referees could wear Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Antlers. Perhaps the president of FIFA himself should abseil down from a glittering rainbow-coloured Chinook helicopter dressed up as a gay Santa, and then shower the crowd with money from his great big golden sack. The cost would barely make a scratch on the $20 billion budget, and it would go some way to redress the inequality issues we hear so much about. Breaking news. Despite threats of sanctions from FIFA, Santa Claus has made it quite clear that he will be wearing the One Love armband. 
there have been many criticisms in the press of the British football team taking the knee before the kick-off, and I'm not going to lie, I did notice a few that didn't. But having rewatched the England versus USA match, I'm wondering if the problem couldn't be arthritis. Apparently, taking the knee is a sign of wokeness, whatever that is supposed to be. Who do these England footballers think they are? Showing solidarity for anti-racism and wanting the government to provide school meals for hungry poor children? Whatever next. Before I leave the whole football thing altogether, I've been wondering about something that the British Secretary of State for the Home, Suella Braverman, said. It's the Lib Dems. It's the Coalition of Chaos. It's the Guardian reading. Tofu eating. Wokarati. Dare I say, the anti-growth coalition that we have to thank for the disruption that we are seeing on our roads today. All that education wasted. A law degree from the Sorbonne University in Paris. Wasted. And yet she benefited from the Erasmus scheme. The same scheme which Brexit has denied to all UK citizens. She now dreams of deporting desperate refugees to a third world country. And yet the UK has a chronic labour shortage, 47,000 nursing posts unfilled. And those who disagree are a part of the anti-growth coalition. Here is a British barrister using the language of a toddler. I'll tell you what is anti-growth. Putting up trade barriers with your biggest export market and ending freedom of movement for British citizens. And really, let's face it, it's all starting to look a bit 1939-ish. I was given the example of the Royal National Lifeboat Institution as being woke for not letting desperate asylum seekers drown. Don't they realise they're just only there to protect people in yachts and gym palaces? I hear them saying things like, Yeah, I'm cancelling my subscription to the RNLI when everybody knows that they've never donated a bean to anything in their lives. The same with our war heroes. Why are we helping these people when our ex-servicemen are sleeping rough on the streets? They will say things like, Charity begins at home. But more importantly, it begins. Why not do both? I believe woke to be an American word because in the English vernacular, it just means not asleep. If this were the case, I can think of plenty more pressing uses for the term woke, woke, woke. Let's find out. Are food banks woke? Is being concerned about the cost of living crisis woke? When are we going to woke up to the naked corruption in government? Is lying and being a national security risk woke? Is breaking the ministerial code woke? Is claiming to have integrity and then acting like a f***ing crook woke? Who knows? Is the Brexit red tape, which according to the LSE has added a further £6 billion to the cost of British food, woke? What about concerns over foreign-owned water companies tipping thousands of tonnes of untreated sewage into our rivers and beaches? Is that woke? Or could it just be that wokeness is being used as a distraction for robbery from the public purse by ministers that want to use their expenses budget to heat stables for their horses whilst working class people and pensioners freeze to death. All that money, money intended to prevent 
poorly paid health workers from dying of COVID being directed to offshore tax havens? And what kind of a poorly educated moron do you have to be to still believe Boris Johnson did a good job? Don't talk to me about wokeness. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. It just feels as if all the news coming out of the UK is negative at the moment. But at least they have a good football team. Ah, flip. Wrong anthem. Far be it from me to criticise my country of birth, but it does appear to be facing a difficult Christmas. It is all starting to sound a bit like the title of a Christmas movie, to be repeated indefinitely. I can hear the trailer now. Die Hard 3, The Winter of Discontent. Starring Sushi Fish Snack as the hard-bitten Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. It's Christmas Eve in London, Grad. Mommy, is Boris Johnson going to be coming home to be Prime Minister again and save the economy? Well, we'll just have to see what Santa and Mommy can do when he comes back from his vacations. Prime Minister and former London grad merchant banker Fish Snack is on his way back to Moscow. He gets a call from former Secretary of State for Culture, Nadine Doritos. Oh, darling, I miss Boris so much. This broad was trouble with a capital T. He's gonna have to save her. Meanwhile, in a secret room under Big Ben, high above the houses of Parliament, a terrorist group of 12 desperate old men, the ERG, have declared a war on woke. They are going to be teaching Sestama's Labour Party a lesson in the real use of power. Do you mean electrical power? Nein, don't cough. My plan is brilliant because I am interested in the 64 million pounds in NHS contracts. They are as brilliant as they are ruthless because as everybody knows, 10 million dollar yachts don't just buy themselves. Now the last thing that Sushi Fish Snack wants is to be a hero. Think, goddammit, think. But thinking don't come easy. My friend QWERTY Keyboard and I, we are going to destroy the whole UK economy and blow up some pension funds. Some tough guy you turned out to be, cause from where I sit, doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit. Everyone's gone on strike. Even Border Force can't stop them now. Winter of discontent. It's an ERG and Putin plot, enabled by nurses, train drivers, and then postal workers. Appearing in the United Kingdom and cinemas right now. (laughs) That sushi fish snack. What a guy. They just don't make films like that anymore. Thank goodness. Ho, 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 ho.
Oh, Arr, I think you'll find I could show them politicians a thing or two about pirating. You are listening to the Almorton Takeout, episode 18, A Christmas Knee. You can find out more about this podcast by visiting the website almorton.com forward slash takeout. Don't forget to bring lots of grog. Right then, it's time to take a look at what's been happening on the Twitter sphere. It is going to be a shorter section this time, because since Elon Musk bought it for 44 billion, yes, I did say billion, things have been, well, let's just say a little bit flaky. It wasn't exactly a great start to see the new boss of Twitterland walk into the headquarters in San Francisco carrying a kitchen sink and then firing half of the workforce. I'm sorry, you're fired. Get out of here. If he was just going to smash the place up, why did he borrow one of Johnson's levelling up bulldozers? I mean, who does that? The world's richest man is not someone who takes criticism well. Now my Twitter newsfeed is full of right-wing gun-toting tosspots with things like Truth Seeker or I Tell It How I See It in their profile along with lots of anti-vaxxer emojis and flags. Oh well, I hope they all like Wokarati Tofu because I imagine they'll be seeing all the lefty EU rejoiner comments in equal measure. Some users woke up to discover that they were now following the reinstated Donald Trump who is yet to tweet since his exile, and a whole bunch of thicko Meghan Markle haters who are having a wetty because she did a Netflix documentary about her allegedly racist royal in-laws. Who knew? Of course, Ellen has quite a fan club since becoming King of the Heavens with his rockets and SpaceX, and now, too, he has become the self-declared ruler of the underworld, thanks to Twitter. At the beginning of this podcast, I did say that I was hoping to hear from Mike Britton, and he did get back in touch with some interesting views about carol singers. And so with his permission, I'll be sharing some of those at the end. Well, the broadcastable ones anyway. By the way, have you noticed how everyone on social media seems to be an expert on everything? They post earnest videos of themselves, which always start off with Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe and follow button. Did I mention I'm on Instagram? But my question is, why? I don't get my news from grifters on YouTube in the same way that I don't eat my dinner out of the dog's bowl. There are, however, no shortages of actual experts who instead of getting on with their busy day doctoring or sending rockets up into space find it more profitable to make videos so that we can all be awestruck with their brilliance. One such glamorous doctor is Rena Malik, MD, who I'm sure is a lovely person, who states that she is a urologist and pelvic surgeon. There is a lot to unpack from her many videos, but most seem to centre around sex and all those problems men and some women apparently have either finding this thing called a a G-spot, getting it or properly. One such video was entitled 
How to make her happier in bed. Luckily, I didn't need to watch the whole thing, as the answer is patently obvious. It's chocolate biscuits. What woman doesn't like chocolate? Now, at this point, it would be easy to stray into the more seedy side of chocolate-related intimate activities, but I'm sorry to report this next bit didn't make it past the edit. Of course, Rena Malik, MD, complete with white coat, white teeth, and quite a bit of lip gloss, would have lots of interesting suggestions. But as with all these things, the real humour is in the comments. One subscriber said that they had been working so hard on their technique they could now manage everything that Dr. Malik suggested in under three minutes. Way to go. I was surprised to see that she did have over 1.34 million subscribers and it was then that I was struck by how many sexually frustrated people there are on YouTube. I should know. I mean, I'm not sexually frustrated, obviously. But I was somewhat envious of her subscriber numbers. The best I could manage for my last video was just 16 views, and that was after six years. Mind you, there doesn't seem to be much of an interest in Victorian fireplaces. Well, not in Spain anyway. Her early videos deal with issues such as how many glasses of water should we drink in a normal day? You know, typical doctorish type stuff, really. But before long, she is churning out videos on how to make your willy bigger. I, I did see something on, I think it was Twitter, where this um, a woman who was from the, I would say that she was more from the far-right religious persuasion. I can't say for sure. She, she said that um, she thought that, well, you know, that thing, that some people call me time. That's basically witchcraft, isn't it? There was more along the same theme. For example, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that bit had to be edited as well. But apparently cutting the grass isn't one of the things you can do with it. I can't wait for her next video. 10 things to do with a chocolate. I'm sure that there are lots of men out there that wish their wives would talk to them like that. All dirty yet well-informed. <laughs> Around about this time, I do like to talk about some of the cultural differences between Spain, the UK and also the US because I, I, I see a lot of things on Twitter where people talk about um, the cost of living. Each time you go to the supermarket, everything costs more. And I would say that that mirrors my experience here in Spain but maybe not quite to the same degree. Spain hasn't had to factor in an extra £6 billion worth of costs importing food and the red tape that goes with Brexit. So, yes, we do have food price inflation, mostly linked to the cost of energy, but it's not quite as bad. But, yeah, it's bad enough for sure because the average wage in Spain is obviously considerably lower than it is in the UK, for example. Spain does have a socialist government headed by Pedro Sanchez and I would say that in a lot of ways it does feel like the government is a little bit more caring about ordinary people. I mean, I'll give you an example. We were talking about the cost of um, fuel being, well, it's really expensive thanks to our friend uh, Putin. But when I last put some fuel in my car, I think I put about 50 euros in. When the uh, 50 euros clicked up, the measure went for another, I think it was almost 7 euros. 
The government basically added another seven euros worth of fuel to my 50 euros. Things like that. They're small, but they do make a difference. And they make you feel like the government cares about you. And what I get from looking at what people are saying in the UK is that there's this profound sense that uh, the British administration, they really only care about themselves. And there's no interest in helping poor people. I don't know. We don't really allow people to. It's not so cold here, although there are parts of Spain that's bloody cold. But I just get the feeling that the government wouldn't allow things to get quite that bad here. I'm sure there are plenty of you out there that are going to tell me that I'm wrong about that. Just to return to food shortages, I'm reading all this stuff about, oh, you know, you can't get eggs anymore. They are a staple food. And countries like Greece, uh, they basically got together with, uh, I mean, people in the UK look down on Mediterranean countries, but really, when it comes to this kind of thing, they have really got it together. I was reading how the government of Greece worked with retailers to price cap essential food such as bread, eggs and fish and some meat. And it hasn't really cost the government a lot of extra money to do this. And it really has made a big difference. I'm not sure that this is quite happening in Spain yet, but we, we, we're certainly not short of things like eggs, for example. In fact, I haven't really noticed any shortages, except there was a couple of weeks when... It wasn't easy to buy fresh milk, certainly in, in my local supermarket. I mean, others would tell you differently. Or we could buy this really fancy Spencer's stuff from Asturias that comes in a really pretty container with a picture of a cow in the front. And uh, that's all great, you know, but it was about a third higher than what we used to pay for it. So we get these odd little shortages of things. My wife will come back from the supermarket and say, oh, I couldn't get this today but generally the shelves are pretty well stocked it's nearly time for me to go and as always i do like to leave the last word on cultural differences to my great friend and guitar mentor mike Britton. i had become worried that i'd not heard from him for a while but it turns out he's been enjoying a stay in hospital you can imagine how that's gone. He indicates that it was not the sort where beautiful young nurses attend to your every need between nipping out to the food bank and cheerily paying down their parking fines and tuition fees. He has been proper poorly, and reading between the lines, he was not especially enamoured with hospital food. So I'm guessing that's another cultural difference, as hospital food in Spain is generally pretty good. Of course, if you are really sick... You're not going to be worrying if your steak has been cooked al punto. However, Mike's hospital culinary experience seems to have fallen short. He writes, I've been surveying hospital food for a while. Two separate institutions. I can confirm that, as suspected, inferior ingredients are brought in at extortionate prices, thereafter to be boiled, baked and buggered into submission for hours on end, before being left to fester for at least half a day. Mike's email had me reminiscing, and I wondered if modern school dinners were given the same treatment. As a child, I remember them being hearty meals cooked with fresh ingredients by burly dinner ladies who genuinely seemed to enjoy their work. 
in my junior school, mostly C of E, in Bourbigam, which has since been demolished due to public interest, we would leave the main school building at lunchtime and tramp up the road in the ice and snow to a little corrugated iron annex. We all had to take our boots off before sitting down at large wooden bench tables. The dinner regime was strictly policed and would start with a saying of grace. Anyone caught flicking mashed potato would be subject to whatever painful cruelty our minders felt disposed to dish out. What the hell do you think you're doing, you horrible little kid? In my case, I was grabbed behind by the ears and lifted off the bench. It hurt like hell and would be regarded as assault these days as for the many beatings we would receive for the most trivial of infractions. On this occasion, revenge was a dish best served warm. When I discovered the oversized Wellington boots of my assailant in the rack, I carefully filled them a third of the way up with custard and a few leftover soggy prunes. The resulting detention of the whole school at the time seemed like a price worth paying, and oddly, I've never really enjoyed prunes and custard since. Anyway, I digress. Mike ends his email with a few observations about Christmas. He goes on to say, Enough of my maudlin introspections. The generous tone of your email is far too flattering to an old goat who scratches away at the guitar strings. Are you getting Christmas cards from your neighbours? I'm going to have to reply in kind to about a dozen households whose occupants would indifferently step over your body for the rest of the year, but feel compelled to stuff dumb cards full of Xmas doggerel through my letterbox. I've even had the church kids carol singers. Off, we're Buddhists, I say. It doesn't seem to work anymore. But shouting, keep away, we've all got COVID, seems to have done the trick. <laughs> So that's it from me for now. I will be back in the new year. Until then, take care, look after your loved ones, and may I take this opportunity to thank all of you for your support and encouragement. Before I go, I want to say a few words of thanks to the musicians and content creators who have contributed to this episode. As always, Full credits can be found on almorton.com forward slash takeout. I'm especially grateful to Mike Britton, our editor, Heather Margaret, additional material and technical help from Oscar Morton. The artists and publishers on pixabay.com for some of the music and sound effects. This episode is dedicated to the loving memory of the late Colin Ford, a wonderful musician and sorely missed friend. Now listen, try to keep warm and have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year, all of you. Well, except Tory party cabinet ministers. Not forgetting Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com for this fabulous rendition of Tchaikovsky's Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. Bye. This podcast was written, produced, and performed by Al Morton. <laughs> <laughs>